And uh, we are going to uh, go through this letter. When, uh, when I was planning the last series in Colossians, I, I wasn't sure if I should do Colossians or James uh, or actually Thessalonians, and uh, uh, Colossians came out, and then I was praying about this series, and I just felt the Lord saying, well, now do James. And so uh, the focus here, though, on, on this series in James is uh, going to be a series of adjectives that should describe us as Christians if we want to thrive in today's crazy world. I mean, right now, everything is going crazy around us. Uh, we're dealing with a lot of issues. You know, will there be a nuclear war with North Korea? Uh, what about these hurricanes? Uh, now two, two in a row, three in a row, another is coming up. Uh, what's happening uh, around with the planet? What about our own country with Brexit? You know, what's going to be going on with that? Uh, will we be better off? Will, be, will, be, will we be worse off? Uh, we're looking at the decline of the church uh, in the United Kingdom. So many issues. And the question is for us as Christians, well, what is God doing in us? And what qualities do we need? What adjectives should describe us if we're not only going to survive this season, but thrive in the midst of this season. And if you've ever been around me, you know that uh, I'm convinced that as Christians, we need to thrive. God's called us to thrive, not necessarily in a way that would be described by modern consumerist culture, uh, but certainly in a way that's described by the scriptures. Uh, And so let's see what that is, and that's going to be what we're looking at here uh, in the context of James. But before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we read it over these next few weeks together, especially as we look at this letter from James, that you, by your Holy Spirit, through your Son Jesus, would form these qualities in us so that we might thrive as your people here in London. Lord, we know that your calling is upon us. We know that you have called us to live for Jesus. We know that Jesus Christ lives inside of us. Uh, and all of these things are realities for us in the, through faith in the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. But we pray that you'd form them in us, you'd fashion them in us, you'd strengthen them in us so that we might live more effectively, more productively, and more joyfully you. Let us, Lord, consider everything joy that you send our way so that we can live joyful lives in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people this day through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, various, meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its, flowers, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I have been following Jesus now for almost 43 years. I've been walking with the Lord. That's a, quite a long time. That's older than many of you here, although not everybody, thankfully. Uh, but, uh, but 43 years. And uh, over the time, I, I've been told a lot of things that were key to effective Christian servanthood, faithfulness, the Christian life, whatever. Uh, the most common things that people have said to me over the years is prayer and read the Bible. You got to pray, you got to read the Bible. And, and I agree, those are absolutely foundational things uh, that we have to do as Christians. Others will say, you know, connecting in with the church, and that's true. Uh, others will say worship, uh, that's certainly true. Uh, some others will bring in some other spiritual disciplines in there. And, and, and I don't want to devalue any of these things, because every single one of them is absolutely important for us to be effective, to be joyful, to be fulfilled, to be complete as Christians. But over the years, I have learned that there's one thing that seems to be absolutely the most difficult thing. Uh, in fact, this one thing is so difficult that many, if sometimes most Christians, do not do it. They do not do it. This one thing is so difficult that we see even leaders failing to do this one thing. And yet, this one thing is essential to make everything else effective. Without this one thing, all the other things, prayer, reading your Bible, going to church, worshiping the Lord, uh, they, they just, they'll, they'll just fall away. They will not produce what God wants to produce in your life. Now, before I tell you the one thing, it's important to make a few notes about James. Now, James, you notice here, is writing to Jewish converts to Christianity. That's the dispersion. And James, this is the brother of Jesus, and at the time, he is the apostolic leader of the church in Jerusalem. So James is leading the church, and James was the first, as the church leader there in Jerusalem, you see even Peter, the apostle, kind of bowing to him and allowing him to give the verdict there in Acts 15 uh, about uh, what the Gentile Christians in Antioch should be doing. So James is the key leader here uh, in the church in Jerusalem. James is an apostle, but he is writing to Jewish Christians. And so as He's writing to Jewish Christians. He's not relaying a lot of foundations that are already laid. As Jewish Christians, they would have believed the value of the Scriptures. As Jewish Christians, they would have believed in the sovereignty of God. As Jewish Christians, they would have been looking to God for mercy. As Jewish Christians, they would have embraced fully Jesus as their Messiah. As Jewish Christians, they would be seeking to live in the power of the Holy Spirit who was poured out on the day of Pentecost. All of these things are present realities to the Christians that James would be addressing with his letter. 
And that's why you don't see those things here. That's why you don't read all those details. There's a lot of background here that James's audience would have known and James would have assumed when he was writing. That's why when you sometimes, when when Christians have read this letter over the years, they say, well, like Martin Luther, uh, it should be taken out because there's nothing about grace in it. There's nothing about saved by grace through faith. There's nothing about justification. There's nothing about so many of the foundational doctrines of Christianity, what makes us Christian. James doesn't go over that. And that's because his audience would have known that. That's why right now we're not reciting the Apostles' Creed. That's why right now I'm not going through the whole history of Christianity as part of this sermon because I'm, I'm pretty well guessing that most of the people that are here, and many of you I know, are walking with Jesus. And so in a, to a degree I can take for granted some of the basic things that if you were a completely non-believer I would be telling you. And so as we read through this letter, as we study this letter, we have to keep that in mind. And then James starts out with this this great statement, consider it all joy. Now, that's great. You know, I like joy. But he says, consider it all joy when you suffer trials of various kinds. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like trials. And certainly, the last thing I want to do is consider a trial joy. But James has something in mind, and it is this one quality that makes everything else we do as Christians effective. This one quality that is absolutely essential because without this one quality, whether you're a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer, whether you've walked with the Lord for 43 years or you've walked with the Lord for 43 minutes, this one quality is absolutely essential and that quality is steadfastness. Being steadfast. So many Christians fail in this one area. They don't keep on keeping on. They don't endure. They aren't steadfast. You can read the Bible, and it's a great book to read, a great collection of books to read, but if you don't read and keep on reading, if you're not steadfast in your reading of the Scriptures, you'll never learn it. Prayer is fine, but if you don't make a discipline of praying on an ongoing basis every single day, spending time with the Lord in prayer as the Lord leads you to do, it makes no difference. You can go to church one Sunday and listen to a sermon, but unless it's an extraordinary Sunday with an extraordinary sermon, it will make no difference to your life. I've often said to people, if you come and listen to one of my sermons, you might be blessed by it. Uh, It may or may not change you. But if you sit under my preaching for a year, you cannot help but change in some way. And that's not because I'm a great preacher. It's because I understand the power of the Word of God, especially as it's combined there with steadfastness. And James, he talks about how important it is, this steadfastness, because he says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, it's our steadfastness that brings us to a place of completion. It's our steadfastness 
in doing the things that God has called us to do as the people that God has made us to be in Jesus Christ that brings about the blessings of God in our lives. It's our steadfastness that brings real change in the world. You look at somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Many would say one of the great heroes of the 20th century. And Martin Luther King Jr. was steadfast in his message. And he was steadfast until the time that he was shot dead. And it was his steadfastness that made all the difference. You look at William Wilberforce. Wilberforce tried time and time and time and time again to eliminate slavery. But it was his steadfastness, not only him, but many, many others working alongside of him, that brought it about. You look at Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but the original Martin Luther, and it's his steadfastness. You look at John Calvin, it's his steadfastness. In fact, you look time after time after time after time throughout history And it is the steadfastness of Christians that makes all the difference. Their endurance, their faithfulness, their keeping on and keeping on and keeping on and refusing to quit. It's so easy, you know. I have to confess, over the last year or so, there have been a lot of times when I just want to quit. And there are a lot of easier things to do than be a pastor. There are a lot of easier things to do. There are a lot of easier ways to make money. There are a lot of easier places to be a pastor than central London. And there are times when you think, oh, you know, I could do this or I could do this and I could do this. But you say no. Because it's steadfastness that makes all the difference. You know, one of the reasons I don't quit, it's not because I'm strong in myself. It's because I want to be an example of steadfastness to the younger people under my care as a pastor. I don't want to be like one of those guys that comes up on the news having fallen away or having quit or having retired to an easier career. It's not because I'm a great person. It's because I understand the power and importance of steadfastness. And James tells us here there are three things that are essential for us if we want steadfastness, if we want to be steadfast. Three things, without these three things, you will never be steadfast. Number one, I've already mentioned it, trials. That sounds crazy. But we have to be tested in order to be steadfast. If you are not tested and tested repeatedly, then when the big challenge comes, you'll fall away. If I was going to train for a marathon, and if I ever tell you that I'm training for a marathon, you come up and cast that demon right out of me. But uh, if I was going to train for a marathon, I know that I wouldn't start out trying to run 26 miles. I would start out trying to run 26 feet, and then 26 meters, and then maybe, oh, well, it depends on how close it was to the pastry shop. But uh, anyway... uh, You know, you you build it up. And so unless there are tests that come our way, we cannot be steadfast. We will not have the strength to do it. And this word trial means two kinds of things. It means tests and temptations. 
So every time that you're tempted to do something that you, you don't want to do, every time that somebody treats you rudely and you, you want to take offense and you refuse to do that, all of these things come under that rubric of testing. And so there's testing that comes and James says, consider it joy, not because it's pleasant, not because it's good, but because you know if you're experiencing the tests. And as Paul tells us, God will not give us a test that's greater than what we're able to deal with, but he will provide the way for us to deal with it. He will provide and has already provided his Holy Spirit. He's already provided victory over the power of sin, death, and hell. He's already provided all of this through Jesus Christ so we can endure and we can overcome whatever test, whether it's a temptation or a challenge that comes our way. But we have to have these trials of various kinds in order to produce this steadfastness. The second thing we need here, according to James, is wisdom. Is wisdom. Now, it's one thing to experience a trial or temptation. It's quite another to have the wisdom to know how to deal with it or the wisdom to make the right decisions in our lives. And wisdom is really Christianity applied. Now, wisdom is knowing what to do, knowing the right course of action to take. We all might know that we're saved by grace through faith, but wisdom says, how do I apply that at work? And we all need wisdom, and the good news, James says, is that if you're going to be steadfast, you're going to have to have the wisdom to be steadfast, and if you want that wisdom, what you have to do is ask God for it, and ask for it in faith, because he will give it to you. Many times, we don't remain steadfast because we don't have the wisdom for how to deal with the situation. Sometimes we'll rush into a relational difficulty like a bull in a china shop and we'll be rude and overbearing when actually we should be kind and gracious. We need, need to know how to approach that. But at the same time, there are some times when we need to be rather forceful and forward and say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to back down on that. And no, I'm not going to tolerate that kind of bullying or abuse. How do you know the difference? It's all about wisdom. And so we need to have wisdom, and we need to ask for wisdom and faith, but when we ask for the wisdom, we need to understand that a lot of times it only comes as you start to step forward. If you step back and you say, oh God, please give me wisdom. And then you have something come into your mind and say, oh God, is that you? Is that not you? Oh, I don't know. Should I do that or should I not do that? Oh, maybe that's you. But oh, if I do that, oh, that some people are going to be upset with me. That's what Paul, uh, James is talking about here as wavering and being double-minded. And a lot of times we don't have the faith to say, okay, God, I trust that you're going to give me wisdom. And so I'm going to take the step forward that I need to take, knowing that that wisdom will come and I will trust that it's you speaking to me. But we have to have wisdom in order to remain steadfast. Wisdom tells us when we need to push and wisdom tells us when we need to rest. Wisdom is absolutely essential. And then the third thing that James says here, we can actually miss a little bit. And I would say, say it like this, we need to take a longer-term perspective. We need to have a longer-term perspective. 
Now, James says what seems really kind of funny. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. And you think, wow, that, that sounds kind of strange. You know, the lowly brother is somebody who doesn't have much, who's struggling, who's dealing with some poverty and stuff like that. And he says, boast in your exaltation. And then if you're rich, you know, if you're wealthy, boast in your humiliation. You know, where, where does that come from? What's going to happen here? The thing that James is pointing us to is the fact that one day the lowly will be made high. One day the Lord will lift up the lowly. And so if you're, if you're struggling, if you're dealing with discouragement, if you're dealing with a difficult situation, understand that one day the Lord is going to exalt that. One day the Lord is going to lift you up. One day, and it might not be until Jesus Christ comes again, and that's why you need to take a long-term view, one day you will get the reward. One day, every promise God has made will be fulfilled. And if you're lowly, if you're dealing with that kind of circumstance, you need to take that long-term view. At the same time, if everything is going well for you, if you've got a lot of money, if you've got a lot of ease, uh, if, if things are, are going great, if you think you can't be any better, then remember one day, all of that will be gone. If nothing else, one day you'll die. And you're not going to take any of that with you when you die. And so don't assume that simply because things seem to be going well, that means that you're really being steadfast. And don't assume that simply because things are going poorly, that means that somehow you failed. And you've not been steadfast. Take a longer term view and understand that God is working in our lives and in our situations in ways that we cannot possibly conceive. It'd take me too long to tell you, but I could tell you a number of times when God has taken a decade or two decade long perspective to deal with something. Something that I wanted to push through right away and I wanted to dealt with right away, but God worked it together and the outcome was even better than what I could imagine. And so this is the call for James, for us in this first installment. Steadfast. James is calling us, God is calling us to be steadfast. And the good news is, as I said, that God's provided us everything we need. In Jesus Christ, we're united with Christ. We are one with Him in victory over sin, death, and hell. We've been filled by the Spirit with the power of God, being conformed to the image of Christ. And we are children of our Heavenly Father, loved by Him and chosen by Him in whom He delights. And that enables us to be steadfast. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for this challenge to us and this call to us. And thank You that You have already, in Jesus, enabled us to meet the challenge and fulfill the call. I pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us, no matter where we are, no matter what stage we're in, encourage us with this call to steadfastness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.